Welcome to Montessori Moment. I am your host, Liz Monson. Today, we're going to talk to educator Jesse McCarthy, who has over 12 years of experience and started with Laporte back in 2004 as a teacher. He's worked as a principal, as a curriculum developer, and has developed programs within the school for employee and program enrichment. We're going to start by talking about what got Jesse into Montessori and then have a conversation about how families can implement Montessori philosophy at home. I want to start by asking Jesse, what brought you to Montessori? Yeah, so I say that probably the first time I heard of Montessori was when I was studying child psychology in college. And I just, you know, her name was just thrown out and that was it. Um, And then I just picked up one of her books and just got really engaged. Um, You know, often her works are seen as dense, um, but she just speaks so passionately about children and then about really about human beings in general that I just got, I got sucked in. Yeah, well, she uses some of that progressive era language that can be alienating and is not always like very modern. Yeah. But underneath her message is strong and consistent. Yeah. I mean, when she when she talks about children in slums, she might not use the language we might use today. But yeah, you could just tell this woman cares so deeply about about um, children. And she's connected to the nature of childhood. Yeah, so I think you're right because there's today there's a lot of people who you can tell they love children deeply, but they might not have that kind of scientific approach to, hey, what does a child actually need? What are yeah. his developmental needs? So she has that combination of both, yeah. 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 Um, what do you, when you were studying Montessori, what did you find most interesting? What for you is your connection that makes you passionate about it? Yeah, it, it's, it's always such a hard question for me because there's so many elements about Montessori that I love. Um, but I know one that stands out is this sense of independence and this valuing of independence. Um, and I look at it as that we're all unique human beings, so unique in ourselves. So the sense is we need to follow our own ways and allowing a child to be independent in the classroom and then to later as an adult to be independent in life is huge. Um, and I think Montessori, she just brings it so to life and connects it to us as adults yeah. and like, Imagine what it would be like if you lived among giants, you know, for us as adults. It's like every time you wanted to comb your hair, well, you would have to go and ask the giant, can you comb my hair? And after a while, you're not going to be too happy with that giant because you're going to feel dependent on him for everything. Yeah, and and resentful. So there's a reason why children seem to be very frustrated with parents and teachers at times. And a lot of it, I think, goes down to, as Montessori pointed out, that we start to feel dependent on these bigger beings. And what do I want? I want to do it myself. Yeah. So, um, and I can relate to that as an adult. I'm sure most parents and uh, other adults can relate to that too. So. Yeah. I think no one likes to be micromanaged. Yeah. Which is what we call it if you're an adult. Yeah. And it's interesting. It's moved into kind of the business world too, because there's this reluctance now, like let's not micromanage people. And it, it's the same with children, but we, we still do it in the child world, but we're trying to yeah. move away from it in business. So, yeah. yeah. Well, I think it's especially hard for parents and teachers uh, because it's a very clear way we feel to show the child that we care for them and that we love them, that we're taking care of them. Um, yeah. But so it's I, not always felt that way. Yeah. And I, I think it, it oftentimes it does come from a good place. It's I want to help this child. But oftentimes you should ask, does he really want my help? And that's yeah. uh, that's an important question to ask uh, with children and just people in general. But um, but yeah, definitely with children. So Yeah. Um, what do you think the most commonly misunderstood aspect of Montessori is for people that maybe have been introduced to it a little bit, um, but are not people who have a background in education? 
Okay. So, yeah, I've done over the years, I've, I've met with so many different parents, done many, many, many different talks. And it's so interesting. I started off by asking, you know, how many of you think Montessori is, you know, the child gets to play and go along his own path and maybe do finger painting all day? And so, and half the hands come up. And then how many of you think Montessori is a little bit too structured and too rigid? And then the other half come up. So I think the, one of the main confusions is like, what is it? Because yeah. if it's not this progressive, allow your child to do anything and you'll know, follow his path. And it's not this traditional, you must study this exact thing. What is it? So the, I think that's the big confusion um, from what I've seen. Yeah, I think so. free choice can be a very confusing concept. Yeah. And yeah. I, I think for parents in particular, it's scary. I say, you know, a lot of Montessorians like to say, oh, tell the parents that the child is self-directed. And, you know, when I hear that, I know what it means as a Montessorian. As a parent, Self-directed means I let my child go and he's going to paint the walls. He's going to throw stuff all over the place. Um, so yeah, it's, it's freedom within limits. You yeah. know, and I think a, a, we like to say that a lot. So yeah. And I think the important part behind within limits is within reasonable and consistently enforced limits. Yeah. yeah. I think, the, and you're right. I mean, there's, I would say two things. If, you know, if you're in the house and there's, you know, food left out that just can be tossed around, then the child might toss that around if it's just there. So you want to prepare the environment. And then let's say the environment's prepared and a child is doing things that are kind of a little disruptive. You might have limits and say, you know, when this occurs, this is the consequence. And consistency is always challenging, no doubt. So, yeah. Yeah. Well, you have um, a lot of experience, I think, discussing Montessori and presenting Montessori from the point of a psychologist, but also keeping in mind our current culture Mm -hmm. and how people truly are living their lives and how it can be purposeful to them. And we have a lot of families that ask and are curious about how to support their child at home with what they're doing here at school and how they can model their home in easy ways or simple ways um, that will reinforce what they're doing at school. And so what is your first suggestion for parents that are trying to implement Montessori philosophy at home? Okay. So the the first thing I'd probably do is step back and say, so I have a lot of friends and family members that are completely outside of Montessori. And so I understand today's context. So the first thing I would say is don't guilt yourself Mm because there's a lot of kind of, oh, I'm not doing the best for my child. It's it's time to take a breath and just step back and be like, hey, I'm working until 7 o'clock one night. I might not have, you know, two hours to watch my child comb his hair. Like, it's just not going to happen. To, and that's okay. Yeah. Um, what I suggest, though, is really doing as much as you can to schedule in calm time with your child where there's nothing else going on. So there's no disruptions. You might even put the telephone away, the cell phone. Definitely turn the television off and just say, I'm going to sit with my child maybe observe, you know, and just schedule that into your day. Just like you might at work schedule a meeting in that cannot be missed. Try to schedule in 30 minutes a day. Mm -hmm. It can't be missed. And maybe 15, like if you can't get in the beginning. And you'll start to see that you'll, you know, if you're just observing quietly with no distractions, you start to notice things about your child that you might never have noticed before. Um, You know, maybe his playing with dirt isn't to, you know, I'm piss you off or make you yeah. angry as a parent, but because he's actually like, oh, this texture's weird. Like, it's like if a sensorial experience yeah. for them. So you start to see things that, like, yeah, maybe getting his hands in 
you know, pudding is not to upset mom, is not to make a mess, but that is a, I mean, when's the last time you touched pudding? It's a weird feeling. So you start to observe that the child, like, he's driving after something. He's curious. You need to allow that kind of curiosity. So I would say set some time around that you can see that in action. Yeah. Will you uh, talk a little bit about what it means to observe? Because I know as Montessorians, that's something, a term that we just, like, throw around. Yeah, yeah. Okay. Um, but is maybe not. All the meaning that we place behind it is maybe not obvious. Yeah, I think that's good. Okay. So I would say, you know, a good analogy might be like, let's say you're at work and there's a new employee and you're helping them out. You're definitely going to see how they do things. Now, if you're a bad manager or bad somebody, you're just going to tell them what to do, right? And they're not, (laughs) that's a little bit, that's not going to be very helpful. But you want to see how do they approach these things? So in the same way with a child, you know, I think of observing is just sitting back, you know, and quietly saying, you know, what's my child interested in? If, if I'm not forcing him or I'm not pushing him towards like this sport or this activity, what would he go to naturally? Yeah. So, um, observing it is, it seems kind of scientific. You know, you're doing yeah. an observation. Um, but it doesn't have to be. It's very kind of relaxed. Um, and sitting back. And I think one of the main things is to be silent, not judging if a child's doing something, but sit back and say, I'm just gonna, I'm gonna see what he's up to. Yeah. I um, sometimes, think about it as people watching but mm-hmm. like child watching yeah. and trying to lighten your gaze so it's not heavy upon the child they don't feel you like staring at them hmm. just like you wouldn't want a stranger to know that <laughs> yeah. you're people watching them yeah but like a stranger you don't know them and so your your judgments are very superficial i'm trying to limit those with your child yeah and just what are they going to do next? Hmm. Yeah, I think that's a good point. I think, you know, if you're in the house and let's say you're reading on the couch, and I think you're right, if you sat there and like got up in their face and just stared at them, it's going to be very awkward. Just yeah. as it would be awkward for us, it's going to be awkward for a child. So, yeah, I think making it as natural as possible, as you said, is a yeah. you know, metaphorically sitting on your hands because yeah. sometimes it's very hard not to yeah, and help I th- or interfere. Yeah, and you'll see, you know, that I think one of the great things you just said about help is that I think what will happen is if you're observing silently and you kind of the hands on mm-hmm. the, under the, the tush kind of way. Yeah. The, you might, there might be times where you feel like, Oh my gosh, I want to, he, he's not doing that right. I want to help him. And you're going to force yourself not to help, which is then, really challenging. <laughs> oh my gosh. And then you might just see that five minutes past the time that you were going to help him, he gets it on his own. Which is much more meaningful oh, to him. Yeah. To, and for, for everybody involved, that's going to be huge. Even for you as a parent, that it's, you're going to be so much more excited to see your child making, you know, striving to achieve. And he doesn't actually need you in that moment. And then he might naturally come up and say, look what I did. And there's a, there's a real excitement in both people, the child and the parent to that. So, so yeah. 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 I think sometimes when I'm in the classroom and I, and I feel like it's chaotic or I feel like none of these children are working. What are they doing? You know, and then I think it's, it's time for me to like take a step back and I sit down and I observe and then I see all the things that I wasn't saying before. Mm-hmm. I see the children really doing things that I wasn't aware that they could do all by themselves or that I had forgotten or that I just wasn't aware of because I didn't see it because I was focusing on what was happening somewhere else. Mm-hmm. And so it's, I feel like you really get to know the child well through observation, but you, it's also a gift to see 
how they are truly. Yeah, to the observer. Yeah, yeah. no, definitely. So I, I, I mean, I think I should note for everything that we're doing, I don't think it's just about your child. So it's about the enjoyment of if you're a teacher or if you're a parent. Like you're going through this journey as a teacher or as a parent. So everybody should be enjoying the experience. And, and that's kind of why I added that part about guilt. If you find that you're doing everything for your child, you're not going out to dinner with your husband because we've got to be home and ensure that we're observing then you'd want to check that as well because yeah. uh, it's the process should be an enjoyable process for everybody. Uh, yeah. Well, and I think sometimes we recently shared an article with our parents about um, it was about mental health and anxiety and trying to how scheduling too many activities can contribute to those hmm. um, that the children become overstimulated, that they don't discover how to fill their time, that mm-hmm. they're not experiencing boredom, that they're not being a true participant in the family. Um, and I think for some parents that was surprising. They thought, yeah. I want to do the best for my child and I feel stressed and I feel guilty when I feel like I'm not providing them with all of these experiences. But what the child wants and what the child needs is to be with them and to be in the home and to be doing these real things. Yeah. And I, I mean, I like the culture right now is definitely get a lot of things for your child and flashy things for your child, talking things for. And I think we we all know, have had this experience where you're at a child's party and it's a young child and they've got all these things. And what do they like the best? A box that the toy came in. So you know, we we chuckle at that and go, "Oh, look how cute!" But maybe we should start following that yeah. child and saying, "Wow, he doesn't really need all these crazy you know contraptions." And um, as you said. If you're home with your child and he's being loved and you're just there experience with him, that goes a long way. It yeah. really does. So, uh, so again, don't feel this need to buy more and more things um, yeah. for your child or get him involved in more and more activities. Um, so yeah, just to be. Yeah. And I, and I think it does kind of sound hokey pokey at times and new agey, (laughs) you know, just be with your child or experience it. But I mean, there's no doubt activities are good. Like take him to the park, but while at the park, you know, he doesn't need to have the coolest, most flashy car that he's driving around. He doesn't need to use it just so. Yeah, exactly. And go walk by some trees and you'll notice he's going to be looking at leaves, the kind of stuff that sadly some of us fail to see. He's going to be super intrigued with. Um, so if you're there with them showing love and you're experiencing the world with them, go out there and say, Oh, that is interesting. What is that? Um, you'll see, he's going to love it. Yeah. Which is a delight it. for adults too, because then we get to remember the things that w- when we were children, we knew were beautiful and amazing. But as yeah. adults, we. Yes. Go right sometimes past. it's going past. And that's why for me, one of my excitements about Montessori in general is that it can influence us as adults. So I know since I've been in Montessori, you know, you look at things a little bit differently. Um, I know having a kid, I've heard from parents all the time that, wow, he came home. He was so excited about this. And I looked it up because I was excited. So it's just, I mean, it, it moves over into the greater culture when we're affecting our own children and students. So. Yeah. One question that I get a lot from parents is how do they get their children to do things like mm. um, put their clothes on before they come to school or mm. things that they like don't want to do and they become these like power battles yeah. or they, you know, getting their child to walk from the car to the school or put their shoes on or yeah. these no, little things. You. Why do these things become issues and what can parents do to 
support their children. Okay. The first thing I say is, is not an easy thing. So yeah. I, I kind of <laughs> empathize with parents when you, if you've already been doing it a certain way and you're like, you got to get your shoes on. We got to get out of here. It's not going to be tomorrow when it's solved. So that's the yeah. first thing I should say. So it's going to be a, a process to change it. Um, one thing you can definitely do is model and model with kind of a real empathy for your child and where she's at. So, um, you know, example might be with brushing the teeth. Have a ritual every night where you and dad and mom and the child brush the teeth together. Um, same with the shoes in the morning. Have a ritual. This is when we put our shoes on. Now, I want to step back and say, my purpose when brushing my teeth, Jesse here as an adult, yeah. is to get those things clean and as fast as possible so I can go do something else. Yes. Right? A child's purpose is much different. So he's not, he or she's not even thinking about, are my teeth super clean? She likes the process of it. She likes seeing that I'm like mommy and daddy brushing my teeth. So this is what we do. This is what my people do. This is what I do. Yes. And, and you're, so when you're experiencing that, it's all, it's joyous. So it's going to take longer than that a minute and a half, maybe a minute that you're brushing your teeth. So again, schedule the time. Brushing teeth, schedule in 15 minutes at the beginning. Allow it to be an experience. They'll get tired of it over time. You know, it might take a few months. But, you know, I just read an interesting analogy of this with, um, I think Montessori had said it, but imagine as an adult, you know, these people that are climbing these huge mountains, they love the process. And then all of a sudden it's like, Somebody comes by, a giant or some Superman type element comes like, oh, you're having trouble. Let me lift you up. And he carries you to the top. That just took away the whole purpose. You weren't climbing the mountain just to get to the top like that. Yeah. You love the process. That's part of the accomplishment. So anytime you feel the need to jump in and like, oh, you got to get those clean quickly. Yeah, if I could just can. Yeah. yeah. Oh, I'll just put the shoe yeah. on. Just stop. step back for a moment and say, is that really the purpose here? Mm -hmm. Um, and again, at the end of this, I just want to say, if you're 20 minutes late for work already and, you know, it's time to go put the shoes on and get out of there. Like, I yeah. we understand the reality of the now, but you want to start to try to work to change that because that's a damaging relationship in the end with you yeah. and your Well, child. and it doesn't feel good. Like, if it doesn't, if it's not feeling good for the parent and it's stressful for them, then mm -hmm. like, it's probably also not feeling good for the child yeah. and it's stressful for them. Yeah. And I mean, and as children, they absorb everything. So if you've set aside that 15 minutes and it's like, okay, we did this schedule time, but like, you know, you have some massive emergency at work that you have to get to. Obviously, sometimes you're going to have to change these things because if you sat there miserable through the 15 minutes, the child's not going to have a good 15 minutes. He's going to absorb what the parent is feeling, as you just said, Liz. Yeah. 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 And you can also step away. Yeah. Like if you're if you're aware that your energy is like stressed out and hurrying and like but you can give them that time, mm -hmm. you can sit down and put your shoes on slowly or step away and yeah. get your coffee and then come back. Yeah, because we all need our our time to you know be calm. And um, there's a psychologist Heim Gnott, I think you've mentioned him before at some point, but he. I love how he discusses this because it's like, and it's okay to share your feelings with your child. Yeah. You know, even if they're three, you come home, you had a horrible day. You can say, you know, you know, Jimmy, I had a really bad day today. I was, it was sad for a little bit of the day. It was just really hard for me. It, he might not understand everything, but a child understands sadness and child yeah. understands <laughs> anger. So he doesn't need to know all the intricacies of why your boss did this or something, but 
he can he can relate to that. So share your own feelings sometimes yeah. with him. Well, and I think that will help in your child's development of um, good mental health and that they see, they say, you know, I feel sad all the time. Like I have all these feelings and like my parents are always fine. Like, no, like yeah. sometimes mom feels sad and mom's okay. Yeah, sometimes I, I feel sad. Like, oh, I guess sometimes we all feel sad. Yeah, that's a great point because if if in this today's world, mom and dad are supposed to always have it together, always be happy, that's not actually reality. That's not how human beings work. Um, yeah. And obviously in the contrast, if you find that the home life isn't sad all the time, then maybe you need to make some changes, <laughs> yeah. you know, because that's the same. Well, it's yeah. also modeling for them because the child goes, oh, well, mom was sad. What did mom do when she was sad? Like, did she yeah. scream cry and throw her body on the floor? Yeah. <laughs> Or did she do some self-care? Did she sit close with me and have some quiet time? Did she make herself a cup of tea? Like what – how do we behave when we're sad? Yeah, and I think I, I like that because and sometimes we're even going to have to exaggerate how we deal with our emotions or so forth so that the child can see it. Because yeah. if they don't see it, where would a child learn how to deal with his emotions? It would become overwhelming yeah. very quickly. Yeah, sometimes I think about, you know, when – I try to stay active and constantly challenge myself and feel difficulty because I think it's important for human beings. But Mm -hmm. then I think about the child and the difficulties that the child encounters doing things that we think of as standard or we don't think about Mm -hmm. at all, like successfully getting food from the bowl to your mouth using a spoon. Mm -hmm. And I think the child isn't spilling on the floor because they're trying to be messy or difficult or et cetera. Like it is truly a challenging effort for them and it's very difficult. And it's not just that that's difficult. Everything they do all day is difficult. Yeah. You know, and I, I was thinking about this because I was talking about gravity with a science teacher, the older kids. And it just, you know, it hit me so much that it, in an infant, like his difficulty is really he's fighting gravity. Yeah. Like, we don't think about that as adults, but every day we are actually fighting gravity, but it's natural to us at this point. Like, we hold ourselves up. A child has to learn and develop his ability to fight gravity. Yeah. So it's, it's kind of like they are really, they're, they're working. They're, they're it's working. very difficult. Every moment they're working. So I think that ties back into like, let's say you're going to make a meal at night and you're thinking, how can I get my child involved? But you're also knowing that, listen, to cut an apple is going to take, you know, half an hour. Um, what can I do? Make, set aside time, say, okay, Thursday nights are going to be dinner with my child. Not just with him, but making it with him. Mm -hmm. And then you set aside double, triple the amount of time it would normally take. Because as you just mentioned, Liz, it's going to be difficult work for him. Yeah. But And he will fail. Oh, he will definitely (laughs) fail. Um, just as, you know, if you're trying a new, new kind of, uh, you know, meal at home, you might fail with that. Um, I love that because somebody had just said too that they were at one of the schools, they had their garden and they had planted one crop and it was just a disaster. Yeah. And they said, the woman, and you know, I can imagine, you know, another teacher be like, oh my gosh. She said, it was a great learning experience for the kids. We put all this work into it. And even I, as the teacher, I can fail trying Mm -hmm. to do this. But then we've learned, okay, we didn't water it right or the sun wasn't shining here and you learn from it. Mm -hmm. Or it's too hot here, yeah. Yep. Yeah. So what, when children, you're just talking about preparing dinner and that made me think about um, children really love baking, they really love cooking, they really love, they want to do what their parents do. Mm -hmm. And sometimes that's very difficult because 
they will fail at it and Mm -hmm. it's very difficult for them to do and it makes everything take a really long time. Mm -hmm. And so what are things or ways that you can realistically incorporate your child in the tasks of the house or how can you um, make that doable so they can help you with the laundry or they can be part of the family, not just a like family accessory or just a guest in their home. That's interesting. I think a lot of parents don't look at it as if it's a contributing member of the family. And at a real young age, listen, we all know they're not. Like they're they're taking up, they're absorbing time. (laughs) Yeah. But as they get a little bit older, the reality is, I mean, they are kind of contributing emotional um, support throughout because there's a sense in which I I love this child. Yeah, we're together. So that's always there. But um, I think when you're having like, let's say you're saying a meal, a child is not going to be the one, you know, boiling the water. Right. right. So find something that he actually can do. If there's a half a cup of milk that needs to get poured into a container, then that's his job. You're going to be pouring the milk today. And look how much we have because use some language if you have it. It's half a cup. Now, even if there's no way he gets that fully, you can point things out and he's he's listening. They're absorbing everything. So yeah. um, just break it up into segments and you think to yourself, I know what my child is actually capable of. Let me give him one segment that he can do. Mm-hmm. Um, and even if it's not perfect, because you know a good thing is like sweeping or dusting, you can get a child-sized broom mm-hmm. and have him help you sweep up. Now, if your goal is that he's going to be like the tidiest, nicest, he's going to the floor will be clean. Crystal, then you've already started on a bad note. You'll be disappointed. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah. But if you think of it as like he's learning skills as he goes along, it's not the end goal. Like the end goal is not a clean floor for him. It's for you, not for him. Then you're going to have a good time with him. Yeah, and he's going to learn to care for his environment and so many things that. It's really worth it. Yeah. And I think, yeah. you know, when you come into a Montessori classroom, kids love, right? And you know this, Liz. They love to clean things if they something falls. They love to clean things. What happens? Something spills on the floor. It's not like, oh, God, who, my brother going to pick that up? I know. Everyone no. runs over and we Did go, if you yeah. ran over, that means you're here because you want to help. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. So, And they're like, I do want to help. I'll get the dustpan. And they're, they're right there to hop in. Where I think today, and if you just think about it, the culture in general, oftentimes it's like, well, somebody else will do that. Mm-hmm. Now, yeah. I think where does that somebody else will do that or somebody else will solve this problem? Where does that come from in our adult culture? I think a lot of that is because we weren't raised with that sense. Many of us were not raised with that sense of, hey, I can do this. I'm capable. And actually, I enjoy making my environment look pretty nice. Yeah. Um, yeah. Well, so. and we've um, in some ways, I think a variety of components go into this, but technology and by design, we have alienated ourselves from our environments in some ways. So for instance, when I am done eating dinner, I'm not going to be having a sensorial experience of washing the dishes and connecting in that way. I'm going to shove them in the dishwasher and like be as quick as possible and then like leave them there. And it's while that is increasing my efficiency, what am I doing with that time that I am getting and what effect is that time? time that I'm gaining having on my connection to my environment, which is something that is still very meaningful for small children. Yeah. And I think, you know, it's interesting that you're saying this because I mean, I don't know how much your parents know you, but Liz (laughs) is like the tech, 
the tech monosaurian here. So it's it's we've had conversations I think before about this where it's like it's not technology that's bad, but I think it's what you're pointing out is that we as adults we're using these things to help us. Like the idea of a dishwasher is amazing. This technology was able to wash all these dishes where it would have taken us you know four times the amount of time. But what we forget is that we knew how to wash dishes. We know how to wash dishes. And yeah, <laughs> like we know that when this food gets delivered to us from a restaurant, it was grown somewhere. But what's happening is, I think, as you're kind of noting, is that we're not giving our children a chance to see these things or experiencing these experience these things. So milk, who even knows? It's just yeah. in my mouth. Yeah. Like so, there, I think it's not this. You know, some Montessorians and some people today are kind of anti-technology, which Liz is definitely. I, not. I love technology. Yeah. It's true. But um, but it's not that. But it's that we need to know the roots of these things so that we can really enjoy it and say. Oh yeah, remember when we used to have to wash dishes? Look, it's so nice that we can do this now. It saves us so much time. Yeah. So, yeah. yeah, well and then all of the things that go behind washing dishes like time management, sequencing of activity, fine motor skills, gross motor skills, pride, responsibility and the aesthetics of the environment. There's yeah. so much behind it. Yeah, and I think you you were even saying that I mean like you and dishwasher, you just put the dishes in there and press a button. Yeah. Right. Or put some soap in and press a button. I mean, dishwashing, the hand movements for a child, the ability to hold a dish. And, and there's water, yeah. which is very uh, exciting. <laughs> we were talking about the different materials you get your hands in, right? That's for sure. Yeah. yeah. I guess something that goes along with all that we've been talking about, but is kind of in the background is communication. Mm-hmm. How do we structure what we say to respect the children? get our points across, and share the world with them? Yeah, so I think as an overall question, it's tricky because it's so con- it's so dependent on the context, on the age of a child, and so forth. Because there, there will be times, um, like I was just saying, if you were cooking dinner, where you want to use a lot of language. Mm-hmm. You want to say, we're pouring the milk into the pan now. Look, yeah. at, we have one half cup of milk. Um, yeah. Where there might be other times where, let's say, you're tying shoes, where all you want to do is do slow movements and, and be silent. S- completely silent. Yeah. Do you, I mean when you're learning to tie your shoe? Do you, the loop goes or I don't know. Well, no. and to look and listen and yeah. process at the same time is it's too much going too on. Too much for something that's completely new. Yeah. So it 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 often does depend on you know where your child's at. One thing with communication that is huge now that I do I would definitely want to comment on is good job good boy, good girl, you want to stay away from these kind of generalized judgments as much as possible um, and really go to something specific. So, you know, a child comes home with this painting that as your mom, you know, it's beautiful. Yeah. It's so This amazing. is the best piece of artwork that's ever existed. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> and you know what? You might actually emotionally feel that, but, right? But yeah. you – to say that to a child is just giving him all of your judgments as opposed to allowing him to make some on his own. So when mm-hmm. I see a child's painting, whatever level, I try to focus on what are some specifics that actually like intrigue me or jump out to me seriously. So, mm-hmm. you know, I remember one where the child came up and he had just put black everywhere. There's black crayon. I said, wow, that black is really dark. It reminds me of when like, right before I'm going to bed and the yeah. darkness in the room. Doesn't it? And so he's like, yeah. And so he gets the sense, I drew that. Mm -hmm. And in himself, he's saying, wow, I like that. Mm -hmm. It's not me coming up. Oh, what an amazing painting you just did or drawing. Mm -hmm. So, Yeah, well, and I think, too, 
that good job can be the end. You know, you say, oh, you did, you did this. Good job is the same as saying you're done yeah, instead of closed. asking what's next. Yeah. And I think you can, you know, when a child comes up to you, you can see, oh, like they feel really proud of this. And that's okay to say, I think, to say, mm-hmm. I can see from your face that you are very excited about what you're going to show me. And I'm excited to see it. Mm-hmm. And then just, you can, you don't even have to comment on it. You can just say, thank you for sharing. Yeah. And it's, this. it does seem weird at first to say, thank you for sharing, but that's it. You don't, that's it. That's and I think, as you said, with even noticing, if if it's you can totally see a child's emotion on their face, that does help them to understand that other people can read emotions. Yeah, and like what's yeah. going on in my brain. Yeah, and my yeah. yeah. So somebody can see what's inside. Now they they might not say that explicitly. They're not old enough, but they're learning these things. Yeah. What I feel inside, other people feel too, and they can see that. Sometimes they can see and know what I'm feeling inside. Like that's. There's a lot to learn. Yeah. 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 Well, I think to your example with pouring the milk um, into the measuring cup. So the child that you're saying that to doesn't really understand numbers, maybe doesn't know what a half is, like basically has no idea what you're talking about, except that there's a certain amount of milk in this container. And then somewhere in their brain, it goes and they know half a cup is some dis- successfully describes a amount of something in something else. Yeah. And, I, and it's like back there and then and that's why you get children who are saying, "Oh, well, I did that yesterday." Do they know that they did it yesterday? Do they yeah. have like this conception of time? No, but they know yesterday goes in the category of acceptable responses for this question. Yeah. And they start to classify their world in that way. Definitely. And I think you're right because it's not like they have this fully formed concept of one half cup. But you know this much. If they went out to the pool and somebody said, oh, there's a half a cup of water in that pool, I think they're going to go, what? Yeah, like, so they've got no. – they're, they're <laughs> yeah. building their sense of numbers and I think you're completely right. Um, now, you know, it's it, something just came to me and I, this yeah. might be kind of edgy to say to parents, but I've met parents and, you know, you say, oh, my child knows his ABCs or he knows how to count to 30. What we're talking about here is to be to be clear that they might not know those things that you're showing, in a sense, almost showing off to other people about. And it's something to really be aware of and saying, why am I doing this? So if you're talking to a neighbor or a friend and saying, go ahead, Johnny, give him his ABCs. It's it's worthwhile to ask, is this why really for my child? This? Yeah. Why am I doing Because What am I feeling yeah. right before I do yeah. this? So because yeah. I've seen, you know, I've just, I've interacted with thousands of parents and it's understandable because there's a sense of pride in my child. But it, what's actually going on there, I think it's worth asking. Yeah. So. Well, I think too for parents and for everyone, the world is like a very scary place. And it would be very nice to think, oh, I have this piece of information or, oh, I can do this. And that means everything's going to be okay. Mm-hmm. And to look at your child and feel, have that feeling of anxiety, not about you, but about the most important person to the world mm-hmm. for you to think, oh, well, they can, they know their letters and they know their numbers. Like they're going to be okay. Yeah. Like they're yeah. going to do okay. They're going to be fine. Um, I think is very compelling. Like it is very comforting, but I think yeah. as educators, we look and we the new parents and they say, oh, they, they can count all the way up to 30. They know all their numbers already. And, 
Um, I hear that and I think they're very proud of their child. They work with language on their child and like they believe their child knows their numbers and like this is very exciting to them. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think in my mind, depending on the age of the child, there's no way their child knows their numbers yeah. because their child knows the pattern of language and their child has the vocabulary. But what we're looking for is deeper knowledge and experience, experiential knowledge. Yeah. And I think, you know, and you'll see, and this I think would be something, you know, you talk with Liz or other Montessori teachers to get the specifics on, but we're really interested in real knowledge Mm -hmm. because in reality, we can get a parakeet, which, or, you know, some type of bird that's just going to mimic these things and it can count to 20. Yeah. So that's not knowledge. So it's there's, vocabulary. Yeah, yeah. So there's a, there, I think, and it's something to delve deeper into as a parent because there's such an excitement when you're really learning something that's yours. It's like, you really get it. Like when that, you know, the light bulb goes off, there's that thing. And when a child's just memorizing something and, and you were clapping for him, he, he's doing a lot of that for more of the motivation of this clapping. And we yeah. want to stay away from that type yeah. of, uh, doing- quote, learning. Yeah, well, and they say, oh, this is a good thing because my parents seemed really happy. I'll keep doing it. Yeah. Um, and But it's not a meaningful interaction for them. Yeah, and it's not coming, I think, from the source of the child saying, wow, I'm really curious. Wait, because we've seen kids and it's like, if I add four to this, then it's ten. And there's just such an excitement with real understanding versus just mimicking in that in that way. So. Yeah, yeah. So what, speaking of you know, numbers and counting and what you, sh- you know, there's so many parenting magazines and online articles and like, parents, this is important. Parents, this is important. You should do this with your child. You need to do this with your child. Yeah. How do parents evaluate these suggestions and how do they decide what really is important and what is meaningful to their child, what oh. their child actually is absorbing? Yeah, I mean, because it's... A- <laughs> It must be complete. It's overwhelming. Yes, yeah, so that's. I, I can only imagine as a parent now today with there's so many resources. This is what's great for your parent. This, I, I saw some funny clip where it was like this couple was having the baby for the first time, and then they just followed them around. There, you know, it was like the mailman popped up. Hey, you guys are having a kid. I know the greatest technique, and it's like every person around. Everyone has an up. opinion. Yeah. So you know what's interesting? I would just like go full circle back to why I think Montessori is so great is independence. Mm -hmm. And as adults, what you have to do is use our independent judgment. So even if you, you know, you think, oh, Liz, my teacher knows everything about this, or Jesse sounds kind of smart on this. I'll just follow. No, it's not going to be good enough to follow what somebody's. So I think you have to make an independent judgment. If somebody is saying, you know, it's so great to just praise your child because then he'll feel good about himself. You might ask yourself a question. In the real world, I've seen people that get praised all over the place, like celebrities. How do they do? How do they do? And you might see that some celebrities seem pretty good and other celebrities, the most beloved celebrities, seem miserable at times. Mm-hmm. So is that really true? Yeah. So you, I think with anything that comes your way, you just have to ask the same questions as like the child. Why is that? Yeah, you have to find your truth. Yeah. So I, I mean, I wish I could point you to and say, here's the, the website of all times that tells you everything. Yeah. But, um, I don't think that exists. I think we have to sift through kind of the nonsense to find the gems and use our own, um, experience and observation of our child. Is that true for my child? Um, to see what works and what doesn't. Yeah. So. I think it's, um, very challenging. And I think it's 
hard because what you have to say is, well, you have to think about it. Yeah. And you have to try something and it might not go well. And you don't want to, you know, it, it's not comforting to hear, well, experiment with your child. Like that sounds yeah. bad. Yeah. But you have to look to your child, see what they need and try to find something that's going to work for them and for your family. And that is experimentation. And sometimes it's going to work and sometimes it's not. And it's okay to try things and it's okay to have them not work and it's okay to have to try something else. Yeah, and I, and I mean, I think we can we can say until we're blue in the face that you you, know, you got to be comfortable with falling or comfortable making errors, but you know it doesn't feel good when you're making these errors mm. at times. Well, especially um, not when it's with your child. Yeah, and I mean that, and I think a lot of that does come down to my view is that you want to look in and this introspection that we were talking about with children, understand your emotions as adults. I mean, it's like, why am I getting so worked up that my child? you know, seems to be a month late doing something based on this standard that says a child should do this by 12 and one fourth month. Yeah. Why is it working me up so much? Mm -hmm. Because, and just ask those type of questions to see that, hey, I feel comfortable. I'm going to experiment here. I'm going to see if this works for my child as opposed to, oh my God, I got to do the next best thing. Um, So there's a lot of stuff internally I think we can do to kind of get past some of that and help it out. So, Yeah. Yeah. Um, well, is there anything else that you would like to share? Any other pearls of wisdom or um, suggestions that you have for parents who I think that would help them? Because I, I think parents have the most difficult job. They yeah. are 24-7 on and they live with this child. And the home is not the child's space like the classroom is. The home is a shared space and creating it around their child and being consistent and doing the best for their child is an ongoing challenge. Yeah. And so what – do you have anything else you'd like to add? Yeah, them? I mean it's <laughs> – Everything. Yeah, everything. <laughs> everything. Um, I mean, you know what, given that we've given all these specifics, and I know it's like it could be overwhelming for a parent. I want to just come back to the point that, you know – it's kind of hokey to say, but love is, is really at the core, but it really is. So, you know, I, I know, you know, my mom didn't have everything right. And she's still to this day like, Oh, I wish I would have known that. I would have done this. I'm like, mm-hmm. stop it. Because, but what she did offer was love. Yeah. And I think if, if you really love your child and care, that's, you're, you're so far ahead of the game. Cause there's so, there, there are parents across this world that just, either, whether they're so worked up or they just never want it, they don't care. So if you're showing love, that's a, that's an incredible start. And just, you know, and you just said being there. Um, I also remember as a, as a teacher when I first started, and I still hold this to this day, is when I'm working with kids or even adults, like, what would I want if I were in that crowd or in that classroom? So I think if you're looking at your child and, you know, you find yourself, um, like I had a good example of like shushing children. Oh, yeah. You know, the child walks up and, you know, like, and he, hey, mom, are we going to be leaving? Shh, I'm with my friend. Imagine what I think. Imagine if you were an adult and another adult just shushed you like that. How would you feel? So it'd be shocking. Today, and so you would be like, "Oh Oh my goodness!" And so it would just be unheard of as an adult community. But we do it with children so nonchalant or casually. So we treat them like they are a lower being. Yeah. So I'd say if you really love your child, that's halfway there, and just two big ones. The love, and then just think of yourself in their context, in their position. Would you want that? Yeah. In that position, that could that could be a helpful guidance, just in generalized, you know. 
Yeah, well, I think I actually read in um, one of your articles, you have this example of um, the way that we speak to our children and um, the child who, like, forgets their lunchbox or something. And um, if you had a guest at your house and they had forgotten their purse or they had forgotten their umbrella and uh, you wouldn't yell after them and say, you idiot, how could you have forgotten this? You need this at school. What are you going to eat for lunch? You know, you wouldn't, uh, you would just take it out and be like, oh, I think you forgot this. (laughs) Um, You know, thanks for coming. Like, and um, having that same respect for your child. Yeah, and I think the example, that umbrella example comes from a man named Haim Ganot. Oh, yeah. I think his last name is G-I-N-O-T-T, but he... I just have to say that he he kind of affected me so much in child communication because of examples like that. He's just constantly bringing it back to us as adults. You know, like what would you do if you know if your husband said, "I can't believe you burnt the toast." You like, <laughs> yeah. He, we like what you know. So I I just I love that that sense of coming back to us and relating to children. Yeah, and meeting them moment. with understanding and kindness. Yeah, as we would. Other adults, yeah. Yeah. Now, if you're the type of mom or parent who's just a meanie yelling at people, well. (laughs) That's a whole different (laughs) problem. That's a whole different story. (laughs) But most of us are pretty nice to each other. It's the kids that we start to get a little wild with. So, Yeah. Yeah. Well, thank you, Jesse, for uh, coming in and letting me interview you. Um, And I think um, parents and whoever is listening uh, can find some of the articles that you've written online at mariamontessori.com. Um, and you also have some, you have a blog at gemslife.com and some videos, lectures that they can watch too if they are interested in more. Yeah, you got yeah. it. So Gems Life, and uh, thank you so much for having me on. It's been fun. Yeah, so cool. thank you, Jesse. Yep.